my dad was incarcerated for a period of time. Um, my brother's in the military, and my sister works for Passport Canada as like a identity investigator. So this idea of like this restriction of movement, uh, I think, is something that's always kind of been prominent. Um, and power of institutions and these sorts of things are, are things that are like prominent. And I guess being trained as a sculptor, that's kind of the language that I use to talk about that stuff. But both projects, um, for me, are ways to sort of bring attention to immigration detention because these sites are pretty invisible. It's hard to find information about them. So it's kind of a way to give them form, uh, temporary form. I don't know if I, I could say that like uh, my my life is very integral or integrated right now. <laughs> it feels like I'm running around all the time, freaking out. But um, I hope to get to a place <laughs> where it feels smooth. But I don't know. So I also think it's important, like as an artist in general, to feel uncomfortable. I think if you're comfortable. This is just my to my personal perspective on this, but I think the discomfort is super important, and uh, that comfort can be dangerous. For this episode of Art Talks Montreal, I spoke with visual artist Sheena Hosko. Over Skype, I reached her in New Mexico, where she'll be for the next three months in residency at the Santa Fe Institute. Um, okay, let's start. All right. Um... I'm wondering if you could describe the project that's exhibited right now at A Space in Toronto and maybe briefly talk about the first iteration, which was in Montreal. The project in Toronto right now, um, it maps uh, the perimeter of uh, the Toronto Immigration Detention Centre or or Holding Centre, as it's called uh, by the government. Um, And what it is essentially it's kind of a project that's in two forms. Um, the first is I visited the detention center in Rexdale and walked around the perimeter of the detention center, and I translated that distance, um, so my footsteps, into a measurement, and then I rented the equivalent of security fencing, temporary security fencing, and installed that in the gallery uh, in a grid-like shape, sort of in a cube with the fences face-to-face. I should, I, I mean, I want to describe it. It's massive. So you step into the room and they're, they're higher. Are they higher than me? They're like six uh, they're something. They're 10 by 6 feet each section. And, and there's they, 117 sections. 117? Yeah. Wow. And they take up a huge block of the interior space of the room. So as you're moving around it, you're kind of stuck between the wall and this fence structure, which isn't, it's not solid, but it's made of metal. So you can see through it, but you still can't move through it. Exactly, exactly. And it, um, yeah, it's held together by these orange bases that are um, used again in temporary security fencing um, mm-hmm. by a company called Modulock, who I work with. Okay. Um, and I did the same sort of structure in uh, Montreal, which uh, maps the Laval Immigration Detention Center in Laval. So, same thing, I walked around the perimeter of that site and um, translated my measure my steps into a measurement and then installed it in a smaller room that's then the room in Toronto so um, 
yeah, it takes up less of the room and is kind of more of, of an object in the room. But both projects, um, for me, are ways to sort of bring attention to immigration detention because these sites are pretty invisible. A lot of folks don't know about them. It's hard mm-hmm. to find information about them in general. So it's kind of a way to give them form, uh, temporary form. And also in Toronto, uh, in the other room, there's a series of works uh, by Tings Chak, who wrote the book Undocumented, The Architecture of Migrant Detention, which is an amazing book. It's graphic. It's all of her drawings. Yeah, she is an architect mm-hmm. and was studying at the at University, U of T in their architecture department. So she was researching immigration detention centers in Canada for her master's, architecture master's thesis. Yes. And she took all that content and put it into a graphic novel. Um, but the drawings themselves are like based on like architectural illustration. I'm not sure if I'm using that term correctly, but like she draws in a way that's very specific to architecture. They're perspective drawings of rooms yeah. and spaces in yeah. interiors yeah. mostly, doors, yeah. walls, floors. Yeah, and she wasn't able, like she, because like I was saying, it's so hard to access so much information about what these spaces are like. Mm -hmm. Um, She did access information to the government and all these things that like a lot of it is like imagining what those spaces are like inside based on, yeah, like testimonial and architectural standards and all these things. Yeah. Um, And yeah, her work for me is like super, um, super rad. I had two or the two or a comment and a question. I guess I thought that show worked really well in a sense. And I mean, this is pro- probably obviously intentional, but her drawings were made on these very thin pieces of paper that were just barely attached to the wall, and there was sort of a, a lightness to them that was yeah. very much opposite to your piece in the other room, which yeah took up all of the space and was solid and made of metal whereas hers were almost about to fly away and maybe they were a space of the imaginary in a different way than your piece talked about the space of enclosure which is very concrete yeah no i think that it was actually vicky at a space who brought our two projects together so we didn't actually know each other before the exhibition and yeah i think what's great about the pairing and it's something he said as well and ting said talked about too is like it's this interior and exterior thing so mine's kind of this wall and Ting's is this really amazing window and I I like that contrast I think they do work well together. What's your background and how did that bring you to doing this kind of work? Um I mean I guess my training quote-unquote as a sculptor and then my interest in social justice and specifically, I guess, thirdly, uh, my family's background with incarceration in different ways. Yeah. Um, my dad was incarcerated for a period of time. Um, my brother's in the military, and my sister works for Passport Canada as, like, a identity investigator. What a family. What a family. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think, like, uh, so this idea of, like, this restriction of movement, uh, I think is something that's always kind of been prominent um, and power of institutions and these sorts of things are, are things that are like prominent in the more organizing work I do um, with different orgs in my life and then also just from like my family history and then I guess being trained as a sculptor or studying sculpture and that's kind of the language that I 
use to talk about that stuff, I guess. Yeah. Could you talk about your your use of space? Like I was describing that work or my experience of it before, and it's very much about how your body interacts with with the installation. It's imposing and you can sort of feel it in your chest. It's heavy. Um, And how much is space a consideration in the work that you make as a sculptor and especially making this kind of work? Is that a clear question? Yeah, that's a super clear question. I think it's like the, for me, it's like the most important thing. Um, I think you said that like sensation or that like weight that you get from the object kind of it's kind of terrifying I I feel confident in calling it terrifying absolutely Um, it's very intimate as well when your body is is in front of these fences they're yeah it's personal like um for me specifically like I was saying like immigration detention in Canada is is this thing that I think is is like becoming more part of like mainstream media conversation but I think for me it's about trying to use that you know in sculpture it's like for me I'm my interests or my influences are mostly minimal and post-minimal sculptors and how they kind of affect your body and the sculptures you really feel them um and I was interested in trying to use that sensation um with to for like a political motive uh and seeing how those two things work together um so yeah space for me is something that yeah, it's very physical. It's very like of the senses, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something I wanted to combine with um, issues that are like outside of art, I guess. Well, so would you describe your practice as political? Maybe clearly, yes. Yeah, I would describe it as political, but I guess I see or I look to folks who I I know doing organizing work or in my own organizing work. Like I think it's different than quote-unquote activism but I think it's still political and it has like for sure it has an agenda but at the end of the day I think all art is quote-unquote political yes especially if like you're functioning within a market within capitalism like that's inherently a political position and it's more how people choose to engage with that I think is the issue versus like political or not kind of thing yeah it's something I think a lot about is like when people make like a a line between political and like non-political or apolitical art because I feel it's like there are all these gestures that are inherently political and it's it's like I said I think it's more how people own that or relate to it that I think is interesting to me yeah and perhaps how the audience is made to take in the work they come come to a work thinking that it's going to be political and thinking that they should have a certain reaction or if there's a work that just stays inside the gallery. I'd actually like to throw back one of the questions. I saw you speak and you sort of threw these questions out there, but didn't answer them. How, how does this kind of work? I mean, all artwork is inherently political, but maybe some more than others, or some, has, some pieces will have a more a concrete message or strong one. How does that reach outside of the gallery? How does, yeah, how does it move beyond? Is it even possible? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of, that question is something that's always shifting around for me with the work about the Laval Immigration Detention Center and the Toronto Immigration Detention Center. I'm like pretty explicit about leaving material and flyers and there's like a postcard campaign to the immigration minister that accompanies the projects. Like that's intentional to kind of allow people... um, To get more information. Access, to see specifically like migrant justice organizations that are working, different campaigns. Like I want people, if they feel inclined, 
to be able to like inform themselves mm-hmm. uh and you know so i guess i hope <laughs> i have this hope that uh for some people that that is like a reality and people like it will raise some awareness um yeah i think sometimes i'm like a little pessimistic about how far that is you know but i, I think there are examples like I was looking recently at Smack Melon in Brooklyn's Respond show that just happened that opened in the middle of January, and I think it closes at some point this month. And it was in response to Eric Gardner's killing and just, like, police violence against black folks in the U.S. in general. And they put out a call, and I think they received, like, 600 submissions. So they they had this, like, timely programming that was, like, there's something going on right now. Yeah. We're gonna ha- like we're gonna push back our existing programming, and we're gonna have a show right now about this. And yeah. I think for me, like that for me is maybe even an example of like how art can reach outside the confines of the gallery if it like responds in the moment <laughs> to stuff that's going on, you know, instead of like programming two or three years ahead of time. And I know that's done for reasons, but mm-hmm. yeah, like I think that for me, yeah, there's examples of I think projects or work that like reach beyond that. Who are some of the people that you look to whose practices have inspired you in terms of what you do and the way that they're able to put across a message or talk about certain issues? Folks that I, I've looked to in the last little while, um, more recently, are, are folks like um, Jackie Sumel, who did the, the house that Herman built, the project about Herman Wallace, who was a member of the Angola Three and was incarcerated in the U.S. in solitary confinement. And she basically did this project that's still ongoing called The House That Herman Built, where she asked him, like, what would his dream home be like through, a, through like, a prisoner correspondence project. So her, the whole practice and project and activism was about, like, imagining what space he would want if he was on the outside. And that kind of, that grew into models and it grew into exhibitions and... Uh, there was a film made, not by Jackie, but another filmmaker, about the project as well. And Herman, was, he passed away last year, and he was released a couple days before he passed away. For her, for me, her practice, I saw her speak, like, maybe, like, seven years ago. There's something about, you know, she's an artist, and that's important to her, and she recognizes that position as, like, a privilege, but she also does things... Um, that are like just straight up organizing um you know she's a yoga teacher I think she was studying to be a nurse I like this model of the artist that's like not just an artist that does a bunch of things her practice is something I look to often and then yeah like I've been reading Jacob Rent's books which and writing recently which is amazing um kind of talking about the role of the artist in politics and Teresa Margolis like she's a medical pathologist in a past life yeah. and she, she often works with materials of the body after the body's been processed in a morgue she'll work with the bodies or the traces of bodies from folks who've died um, as a result of violence at the U.S.-Mexico border there was a show at the DHC a couple of years ago where water was dropping from the ceiling onto a hot plate it was water used to wash if I'm not mistaken wash bodies in a morgue mm-hmm. and the water was suspended above and was dripping down onto these hot plates that kind of had this like very sort of like classic minimal cube form at the bottom. And um, 
I saw some of her work at some other spaces as well. And I'm interested in that like reveal moment as well, where it's like you walk into your room and you're like, oh, it's a metal cube sculpture. Or it's a metal square, whatever. And then you read the text and you're kind of like, yeah, it's pretty aggressive <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but I think that that reveal moment is pretty powerful. Could you talk a little bit right now? I mean, we're talking on Skype and you're in Santa Fe. Maybe you could tell me what you're doing there and how that's an extension of these projects that you've been doing up until now. Yeah, Santa Fe. Speaking of like art and <laughs> movement and privilege. So, um, yeah, I'm on a residency right now in Santa Fe at the Santa Fe Art Institute. And um they recently uh i think in the last two years they've started doing like thematic programming yeah um for the residencies so this year the programming is food justice uh and next year the call that was out was for immigration and emigration mm-hmm. and yeah so i'm down here um for a couple of reasons um I think for me, like I was talking before about like my training and background in sculpture and Santa Fe in the Southwest kind of has this like mythical conceptual land art, giant monolithic land art history. Absolutely. History and, uh, you know, other works that I'm like simultaneously super inspired by and super critical of. Yeah. And I was just like, well, maybe we'll try to go see these things. So that's one of the reasons I'm here and I'm, like I was saying, the, the theme was food justice uh, for this residency. And I'm specifically investigating, like, food, like, doing a research project and some other projects, uh, sculptural projects and drawing projects around how food relates uh, to incarceration in prison. So, like, one of the things I'm going to do is map uh, the site where my dad was incarcerated. <laughs> and... Um, then also just researching different things like the loaf, which is used in Canada and in the U.S. Um, as it's like this food that kind of has this baseline nutrient value that is often given to people as like punishment when they're incarcerated. It's called the loaf or nutri loaf, um, depending on like where you are. And there's different recipes, but essentially it's like it's used as punishment and it's like I said, it has like a baseline nutrient value where people will stay alive, but it's ma- like all this sort of pleasure or the taste of it is taken out, you know, so it just tastes really bad. Okay. It's usually really corn based and like, um, yeah, so it's like a way to kind of like, like I said, punish and, um, you know, so we often hear about like how prison, how food in prison is used as like a tool of like negotiation, like it's capital inside. Yeah, definitely. Or you go, do you think, hear about hunger strikes and that's yeah, the only like power that people have. Lindsay, but it's also to like used by the institutions as a way to punish. So I'm researching that, and yeah, I mean, I've been here for a little while and I'm chatting with folks and meeting with folks, and I'm here for three months. So oh, you've got tons of time. The show that I saw of yours in Toronto, I missed out on the one in Montreal. Yeah. For all of these exhibitions, you've had talks that accompanied them. Mm-hmm. And I know that in Montreal, who did you speak with? I spoke with Nazrin and I spoke with Jaggi Singh. Jaggi's an organizer, a longtime organizer in Montreal. And Nazrin Himada is an academic, activist, curator. I wanted to um, ask you about those kinds of collaborations uh, reaching yeah. beyond your discipline. Yeah, I found like in the last four-ish years that I've really been influenced by folks around me, visual artists, but also folks like working in, in other mediums, like Nazrin's work, like her academic work, 
um, for me in her writing is like really, really awesome. And she gives these also great talks Mm -hmm. on uh, the militarization of the city and how that's linked to prisons. And yeah, and like I was saying, like folks that no one is illegal in solidarity across borders, like all the work sort of being done in the city around incarceration and migrant justice for me is, I think it's something that informs my work but it also like inspires my work because people are just super rad and doing really awesome work and yeah so I guess that I would say that I'm like equally influenced by artists and then other people doing work around me it's um you were talking I forget I forget the name oh and she's able to have all these different parts of her life as an integral so how how what do you do (laughs) Sheena when you're not making art what are the different parts of your life that kind of come together or that you feel are interlocking yeah, like, I I think what I do, my, like, quote-unquote day job, if you will, is I'm a bookkeeper um, for not-for-profits and small businesses in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's, like, yeah, that's kind of how I go through my days mostly, is organize, organize all the things. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I occasionally play music, although not so much anymore, but, uh, and I, I volunteer with different organizations in different ways um, like rock camp and no one's illegal and different folks and yeah so I think I kind of I don't know if I, I can say that like uh, my my life is very integral or integrated right now <laughs> it kind of feels like I'm running around all the time freaking out but um, I hope to get to a place <laughs> where it feels smooth but I don't know so I also think it's important like as an artist in general to feel uncomfortable like I don't really think that I think if you're comfortable, this is just my to my personal perspective on this, but I think the discomfort is super important. And uh, that, yeah, comfort can be dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess for me, it's like, I think that there's lots of awesome organizing stuff going on in both Toronto and Montreal. Um, and there's also a campaign um, that was specifically, um, if I'm not mistaken, came out of Toronto. Um, called The Truth About Immigration Detention, mm-hmm. um, that they published a really extensive report just about, like, facts and figures about immigration detention in Canada. Because, um, like I said, it's just hard to find data on this stuff. Um, so I would really, if, if people are inclined and sitting at their computers, I would suggest that they look up No One Is Illegal Toronto and Montreal and then also The Truth About Immigration Detention. I think they're just ways to sort of get a sense of actual facts and figures um and there's also testimonials for folks from folks on the inside mm-hmm. and I, if people have a chance to check it out i think that would be super awesome yay thank yeah. you so much <laughs> um i hope you have an excellent time in santa fe and hopefully i'll see you back in montreal oh for sure all right thank you thank you bye bye my name is Yania Lee, and you've been listening to an Art Talks Montreal conversation with Sheena Hosko. The opening song was The Crossing from Grace Jones' 1985 album, Slave to the Rhythm. And this is Nina Simone performing Mississippi, Mississippi Goddamn. Goddamn. You can email Art Talks Montreal at arttalksmtl at gmail.com and find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or Tumblr. Talk to you soon. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest And everybody knows about me
communist plot all I want is equality for my sister my brother my people and me yes you lied to me all these years you told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady and you'd stop calling me sister Sadie Just give me 